eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we've been out at spring practice quite a bit so far this spring. We're officially at the halfway point. Uh, I guess technically with 15, we're somewhere just short of the halfway point. But Florida will have its first scrimmage of the spring tomorrow on Thursday. We're recording this episode on Wednesday. We're going to get into all of what we want to see out of the scrimmage, things we think we can learn, Jacob. But first and foremost, I think I wanted to, since it's been a, a couple days since our last podcast, kind of just recap where we're at with spring ball. I think the the one major storyline that is emerging right now is the tight end position. Can you just fill in fans on on sort of what's going on at tight end, and then we can talk about maybe uh, where that position goes uh, going forward past the spring? Yeah, I mean, we knew even at the beginning of spring ball that that was going to be a thin room, and we had talked about that on the podcast. That 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 was a position that already came into practices without a ton of depth. Uh, the program lost somebody to the transfer portal coming into the spring. So Napier was already at somewhat of a disadvantage. Uh, and he had four scholarship tight ends entering spring ball, Nick Elksness, uh, Keon Zipperer, uh, Gage Wilcox and Jonathan Odom. And it immediately transitioned into a significantly worse situation when uh, Gage Wilcox stopped coming to practices. We stopped observing him. Uh, at the beginning of the second week of spring ball. Uh, Zipperer has practiced the entire time. Odom then hurts his shoulder, so he's out. And very shortly after that, Elksness hurts his shoulder, and he's out. We now know that Odom had uh, surgery to repair a torn labrum. Today we're recording this on a Wednesday. That actually happened uh, potentially even a several hours ago if it hasn't happened already. Yeah, he, he actually tweeted about that. So he said the surgery went well. So we don't have a recovery oh, timeline, but he has had the surgery. Okay, so we know that Odom has had surgery on a torn left labrum, and we know that Nick Elksness has a broken bone in his right shoulder, and actually, for those of you listening, you can get the, the scoop here first. He does not need surgery on that. I found out today from a source. So uh, Elksness is just going to need time to recover, and based on all research that I've done about a broken scapula, it isn't a terribly long recovery time. So he should be ready to go for fall ball, but will not participate in the remainder of the spring. The problem, however is that Florida's left with one scholarship tight end who we know is able to practice right now, and that's Keon Zipperer. And other than that, the unit is filled out at this point with guys who are not tight ends. 
Uh, Dante Zanders, defensive end, is practicing at tight end. And granted, he was recruited as a tight end, but is not, yeah. Yeah, not an ideal tight end at this point. Uh, Noah Keeter is a, def- a walk-on off a walk-on outside linebacker who was at UCLA, played tight end in high school in Gainesville, and is now kind of practicing at that position. Apparently, some people have seen him also practicing at long snapper. So he's been all over the place. And it sounds like the team might kind of just filter guys in and out of that unit as the rest of spring ball goes on. So it's going to be important to see where they go transfer portal-wise, uh, how recruiting kind of factors into this. I think it's a huge positive for them that Elksness looks like he's going to be ready to go completely for fall ball, just given the injury and the fact that he doesn't need surgery to repair it. And that's a huge positive for the unit. But right now, as things are within spring ball, it's a really bad situation for that room. Yeah, and there's a there's a couple facets to this discussion. One, uh, Billy Napier loves to use the tight ends, right? So that's a very right. important position group in this offense. Uh, I think there's even another guy, Griffin McDowell, is a guy that started off recruited yes, right. as an offensive lineman at Florida, transitioned to defensive line, I think before 2020. Uh, hasn't really made an impact there. He's now working with the tight ends too. So you have like... Yeah three guys that, you know, really aren't supposed to be tight ends that are working there just because I think, you know, that's partly because Florida relies on the tight end so heavily. You have to have numbers to practice your scheme, you know, knowing that hopefully Elksness is back for fall camp. Jacob, one of the the questions that popped up on the message board, and this was before that, you know, you you just broke that news that that Nick Elksness is, is not supposed to have a super long recovery time frame. One of the questions is, is that a spot where Florida should take a transfer? I want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think that Florida needs to land at least one tight end transfer. And I think that that needs to happen regardless of recovery times, who actually could return from the group of guys currently on the roster, uh, recruits coming in in the summer. I don't think it matters. I think you need an able-bodied tight end to be added to that room, a division one transfer, uh, somebody who can potentially contribute right away. And according to people who are familiar with the situation, they're already looking. So Florida not only needs a tight end, but they know they need a tight end out of the transfer portal, and it is something that they're pursuing. Yeah, so that's interesting because I was making the case on the Swamp 24-7 message boards that because Florida signed three freshmen, you've got a lot of numbers at that position. And obviously the issue right now is you don't have numbers because guys are hurt. Um, My contention was I don't know that they're going to have the scholarship space to be able to spend one on a tight end. Like I just think there's other needs that are more pressing, but... I think to your point, I mean, if, if they're actively out there looking, uh, that's that's big news because I think that continues to reinforce that there's going to be a good deal of attrition after the spring. And we expected some of that as is. Yeah, I would say that. But I also don't know that it necessarily points directly to attrition. I think that we can infer that that's going to happen just based on looking at the room and knowing who could play and who might not play. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, yeah. I didn't mean that necessarily in terms of the the tight end group, attrition from tight end. I just mean Florida's sure. at 90 scholarships right now, and they're going to have to get down to 85. And then if you're going to take transfers in, you know, there's going to be some turnover after the spring. Right. And I think to the point specifically, you know, going back to tight ends, one thing that I think is important to keep in mind. I don't think Billy Napier wants to deal with freshmen at that position because they play such a pivotal role in his offense. He loves to run out of 12 personnel. Uh, They need two tight ends who are capable players, both as blockers and receivers. And right now I'm not so sure they feel like they have that between injuries and just the overall skill level of the guys in that room. And so you don't want to be in a position in your first season as head coach where you're going, okay, I have one guy who can fill in as a 12 personnel tight end. But I don't know that I have a second guy who isn't a freshman. And you don't want to rely on freshmen right away. So for that reason, 
I think that if you're Billy Napier, you're willing to potentially devote one, maybe even two scholarships back to that room and see if you can add some experience back there. And you can kind of manipulate the scholarship numbers, you know, as you go to see if you can accommodate that. But I do think it's super important that they land at least one. Yeah, I'm with you there. And and I made the point that, you know, not knowing that Elksness's injury probably wouldn't keep him out for the fall. My point was, if he's not going to be available, you kind of have to take a guy. Um, yeah. But I was, you know, I was sort of maybe more along the lines of roll the dice on it with two guys if, if those are healthy. And, and if you have injuries, you know, you have injuries. But, I, you know, you've talked me into it. I'm down for taking another tight end. Jacob, what um what else has stood out to you as far as storylines? Obviously, that's sort of the big one because that, like we said, that's a pivotal position group. What what other spots are sort of uh, piquing your interest in spring so far? Yeah, I'm going to stick with an area where I think the transfer portal is going to be really important, and that's defensive tackle. I think that this team is going to need to add at least one more person in that area, uh, somebody who's going to bring a lot of size who can anchor the defensive line in the scheme. Uh, I don't think that the depth there is of the quality that Patrick Tony and Billy Napier are looking for, nor do I think that the top part of the depth chart is strong enough and good enough to, you know, kind of uh, give them what they need. So I think that they're going to look for a defensive tackle in the portal as well. And I also wonder if they're going to do the same thing at linebacker. I wonder if they're going to look for guys to potentially supplement that room a little bit, both inside and outside. I think that those two defensive spots could potentially, we, we might see some action in the portal. We might see Florida potentially even sometime soon start to look after somebody there. And those things have kind of piqued my interest in the limited observation that we've had. And the other thing is, is that wide receiver continues to be a position where I look at it and I'm just not impressed. We see drops almost every single day. And remember, Thomas, we only watch 15 minutes of every single practice. Yeah. So it, it, it's and, not And like a lot of that seeing... is routes on air. So you, I mean, really shouldn't be dropping right. passes they hit you in the hands. Right. And, and, and granted, I don't know that the quarterback play in those sessions has been perfect either. It hasn't been the most accurate display from anybody in that room. But I mean, the drops are bad. And especially, like you said, to be dropping balls against no defense. I mean, it, they're, they're losing battles to nobody. And so I would say that those three areas outside of the tight end room are the things that stick out to me the most in what we are able to observe at the moment. Yeah, I think you know, that was an issue for Florida's receivers really last year. I mean, you know, once you got past that group of guys that uh, had a lot of success in 2020, Kadarius, Tony, and, and Kyle Pitts, obviously, you started to see even at the end of 2020 with especially that Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, drops were an issue for guys like Keon Zipper, for guys like Justin Shorter. I know that was sort of the critique of him last year. I, I feel comfortable about, you know, Justin Shorter sort of emerging as, as kind of a go-to guy. I don't know how high his top end level is. I, I think he'll be pretty good. But to your point, I don't see a lot of guys outside of that, outside of really him, honestly, at receiver that I'm like, okay, that's an SEC caliber guy right now. Now, I think there's potential for some of those guys like Dejon Reynolds, like Marcus Burke, but I think they're still young. And to your point, like what we're seeing is not super encouraging. And I do think receiver is one of those positions where you know, you've got you've got a well-known quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Now, we can talk all day about whether the hype is a little bit ahead of where he's actually at play-wise right now. But there are guys out there in the transfer portal who may hear that Florida's light on receiver. And that's a position where there's going to be some big names at receiver after the spring, I would think. So yeah. I think that's a probably an easy spot to shore up, potentially. I, I agree. And if I could add one more name to the group of guys who I would say that, and again, let me... Let me be clear. We don't see a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to draw some concrete conclusions. None of this is written in pen, very much pencil 
takeaways from 15 minutes of observation per session. But I think that Trent Whittemore has looked pretty solid in the brief window that we've seen him since he's returned from whatever injury he was dealing with. Uh, obviously, the big caveat with him is can he stay healthy? Uh, that obviously is, you know, remains to be seen. But I, I do think that he has practiced well in the limited time that we've seen him. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed him out too. And, and you know, I think even Xavier Henderson has flashed some. I think it's a little bit inconsistent right now. I don't think you have the consistency issue with Whittemore. And, you know, honestly, he just kind of slipped my mind. But he's a guy that fans will know I've been very high on for a long time. A lot more athletic than he gets credit for is a very, very good route runner. So you've got some guys. I just think from what we're hearing from talking to sources that are at the full practice, this is still a position group that, that in my opinion, needs some work. Jacob, we, we kind of hit on it a little bit, but quarterback play. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts. I I, I kind of hinted at it there. I'm not sure that Anthony Richardson is is quite as far along as many fans would maybe hope. And that's not me pressing the panic button at all. I think the biggest yeah. thing for Anthony Richardson is he's going to need live game reps. And he got mm-hmm. some of those last year, um, but he's in a different situation now where he's the guy. He's got a lot more to have to think and process through, and he's doing it with a new offense. So maybe maybe it's honestly kind of my fault for um, sort of assuming that he'd be further along because he is sure. picking up and learning a lot. But I'm curious what you've seen out of him so far, and then we can maybe talk a little bit about the other quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I, I touched on it, and my biggest observation with him has been that it's just not terribly consistent per practice. I think that there are throws, there are days where he looks really good, and there are days where he's completely off. And we saw a mix of that last week. I mean, on Saturday, there were several throws that were just not even close. Uh, earlier that week when they were doing deep passes, I believe he connected on like one of the five that we watched, uh, which is just not a good enough rate for like we talked about practicing on air. It's just not, it has to be better than that. Um, I will now caution our listeners to what I'm saying, because again, I think it's really hard to evaluate quarterback play when we aren't seeing a complete practice, first of all. And second of all, when we aren't seeing what things look like against live defenders. And Some people might hear that and go, well, if he can't do it against air, then how could he do it against defenders? And I would say that guys tend to perform differently when you put them in a game-like scenario. And sometimes it actually affects them in a positive way. Whereas when you have several coaches watching you, you pretty much have to be perfect because there's nobody playing defense. It's just you and a receiver. There are times where guys just tend not to perform well in that setting. And they need the game pressure, the game-like pressure to really be able to perform at their max. That's possible. Um, And we haven't seen it. So I think it's really hard to draw a conclusion, but just talking about what we've had access to, what we've seen and what we've been able to discuss, it hasn't been terribly impressive now. Yeah, well, I completely agree with you on the the games thing. And that's where I go back to game reps. And he has been in situations where when the lights go on and he's handed the game, you know, facing a deficit like at LSU last year, we've seen what he can do, right? So there's clearly, there's clearly times where it clicks for him. Like to your point, he's, He's inconsistent, but when he, he did, that's not to say he's not having days where he's really good as well or throws where he's right on the money as well. He is. I just think, I mean, look, to be honest, Heisman talk got thrown around a lot after those first two games last year. He's not at that level right now, right? Like, and, and I think no. it's important to temper expectations in that way. But to your point, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, 11 on 11 or, or Pascal or, or those kinds of things where you get a little bit better of a gauge. And Billy Napier is going to get the first team scrimmage 
tomorrow night where they're going to be able to put him through some of the evaluations that they want to see. And typically in, you know, over the course of spring ball, you're really trying to throw as much as you can at them, see how much they're capable of. And then during those offseason meetings uh, over the summer, you go back and you look at what you did really well, what you maybe struggled with. And then there's things that you think, okay, we're close enough on this that we want to keep this in the playbook, at least initially in the fall and sort of have it as a potential thing that we can build and grow. And so what you see necessarily this spring, what gets reported from sources that will be at these scrimmages, you got to keep in mind that's all very sort of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks to a certain degree. Um, so it's important not to overreact to any of these opinions because uh, that's really all they are at this point. Absolutely. Where are you at with the other quarterbacks at the moment? Uh, again, I think it's hard to tell. I mean, we've, we've touched on our thoughts on Jack Miller already. I think that it seems as though Billy Napier is pretty happy uh, that Miller is in that quarterback room. Uh, I haven't been terribly impressed at all with anybody below Miller on the depth chart. And I think at this point we can confidently say that it's Richardson one Miller two and no everybody else below that. So um, I think that there's a reasonable amount of concern for third string and lower um, I think we could even possibly see some of those guys leave the program after spring ball. I just don't think that I see a path to starting for them because if you're Florida at this point, you're hoping that Richardson is a serviceable starter. You're hoping that Miller is an adequate backup and you're hoping that you really never have to get to the guys below those two. You're really hoping you never have to get to Miller either, but especially third string and down. And you're also in the recruiting department looking to far out recruit third string and down you're looking out recruit Miller and even Richardson at this point. Yeah. So I don't see a path to playing time for anybody below Miller in the short term uh, or long term. So I would be interested to see uh, just given what we know, if, if those guys are going to try and look for other opportunities. Well, and that's where I go back to, I mean, you've got 90 players on scholarship right now. You got to be down to 85 by the fall. So, and we know that they're going to go after some guys in the portal. So you're going to see right. some attrition. Um, Jacob, let's leave it there for now. And I want to talk about in the second half of the show, what we need to see or hear, not, we won't see it, but we'll hear, uh, talking to sources, sort of how things develop, things that we're looking for to get out of that scrimmage that we think the Florida coaches will be looking for as we kind of move forward and start to learn this team a little bit better in year one under Billy Napier. We'll be right back after this quick break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Redner. Jacob, we're recording this episode on a Wednesday afternoon. About 24 hours from now, give or take a couple hours, Florida will be scrimmaging for the first time under new head coach Billy Napier. Obviously, that gives the coaches a chance to evaluate some real game tape, put them in some situations that uh, will expose players to different things, and and coaches can kind of see what they can handle and what they can't, and then build and develop from there. I'm curious, is there any particular position group that you are sort of focused on in turn, I know we talked about defensive tackle, maybe needing some guys from the portal there to shore things up because you don't you don't love the look of the guys there. Um, but are there any any specific things that you're kind of looking to learn from this scrimmage? Yeah, I'm actually going to focus at first on the other side of the line. I'm curious to hear about what comes from Florida's offensive line. Who stands out? Who who is cracking that starting five? I'm particularly curious about Osiris Torrance because we've heard really good things about him from the coaching staff. Uh, Everybody has kind of pointed to his leadership qualities and also his potential just because of his scheme fluency, having known Napier and Sale from Louisiana. Uh, How does he fit in at Florida? What does he look like as an SEC offensive lineman? And is he one? So uh, I I am curious to hear about what goes on up front offensively. Uh, Like you said, I'm also curious to hear about who performs well defensively on the front. I think that that is a unit that is probably going to need a little bit of help from the portal. And so with the guys that they have in-house right now, what do they bring to the table? And basically, I kind of view the spring as an opportunity to prove you don't need to out-recruit me from guys from other programs. I'm good, and you have what you need in-house. That's really important for these guys. So will they be able to do that and give the coaching staff some confidence to feel like they don't need to go and recruit other players from the transfer portal? So I think from this first scrimmage, uh, there's the potential to kind of get sloppy in the skill position groups. I mean, tight end, there aren't even enough guys to really evaluate it. Uh, And then, you know, first scrimmage, everybody kind of trying to get to know the offense and getting to know each other. It is going to be a lot of feeling out, I think, for the wide receivers and running backs. And even on the other side of the football, uh, defensive backs and linebackers have a lot they need to learn too. But I think that this first scrimmage has a lot of potential to kind of tell us something about the physicality and the strength of the two units up front, offensive line versus defensive line. What do they bring to the table? Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be interesting. It is always funny in spring because you never know, like, you know, if, if one of those sides of the trenches is, is sort of dominating, are they really that good or do you have issues on the other side? And, you know, we've seen right. it uh, at Florida over the years where we come out of spring feeling really good about, say, the defensive line. And it turns out, well, no, actually, the offensive line was actually just pretty bad. And the defensive right. line is sort of average. So it's hard to hard to really know. But, Jacob, I will say we've seen a fairly consistent theme on the offensive line in terms of that starting group, you know, from the left side of the line has been pretty much fully intact with, with Richard Guraj out at tackle, Ethan White at left guard, and then Kingsley uh, Egwakan is obviously the, the starting center. I think those three are pretty well entrenched at this point. Like you said, Osiris Torrance is kind of the guy that we'll have our eye on as far as how does he fit in. I, I think everybody will expect him to be a starter, and he's primarily playing that right guard spot. To me, it's it goes back to sort of pre-spring, what we talked about. Is Josh Braun a guy that is talent like just demands his way onto the field with his talent? And I would suggest my my guess there is probably so. The question is, uh, you know, will will Florida staff 
at some point look to shift him out to tackle, try to cross train him to see if he can be sort of in that best five combination. Jacob, it sounds like they haven't done that a whole lot so far. And and Torrance and, and Josh Braun have really rotated with the starters at that right guard spot, which is encouraging in some ways because it does mean they're seeing, I think, some productive um, play out of Michael Tarquin, who's a guy that Florida fans have really kind of been waiting on to take the next step. Obviously, there's question marks in terms of the depth on the offensive line, but oddly enough, for as, as much as Florida has struggled uh, on the offensive line over the last decade, really, that's one of the groups I feel better about right now. And, you know, I won't be disappointed if we are hearing some reports out of the spring that the defensive tackles are stepping up for that reason. I, I think we have a better handle on how some of these starting offensive linemen have performed in the SEC when when fully healthy and all that. And it's not terrible, right? So if, if you have guys like Jalen Lee or like Chris McClellan uh, really stand out in this scrimmage, maybe you're not quite as bad off at defensive tackle as you think. I'm trying to think, for me, I think the 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 one other group that's really fascinating, and I think you sort of mentioned this, is defensive back, right? Because that's a spot where... Florida got really low on numbers because they they were very uh, senior laden kind of in 2020, and they really really hit the recruiting ranks hard in the 2020 and 2021 classes. So you got a lot of guys like Jason Marshall, Avery Helm, Ethan Pouncey. Uh, you got a lot of first and second year guys. Safety, same thing. You got uh, Mordecai McDaniel, Rashad Torrance. Uh, you know all, all these different guys. Corey Colliers, I know one that you're very high on at the moment. Um, yeah. You've got just so many guys and there's only so many spots. So these scrimmages, I think, are really big for the defensive backs in terms of, one, do you know the system? Can they count on you to go out there and not blow a coverage? But then, two, who are the guys that can do what Florida really wasn't able to do a year ago? And that's go out and get the football. Turnovers have been a big issue for Florida, not being able to force them really over the last two years. That has to change. So I want to know who are the guys that are out there that are taking advantage of maybe some errant quarterback play. That's what I'm really watching. Yeah, and I can tell you that they've actually been working specifically on generating turnovers. I stood for the majority of our 15-minute window yesterday right by Patrick Tony and the safeties, and they spent the entire 15-minute period split between high-pointing interceptions and returning them and forcing fumbles. Yeah. It was the entire focus of yesterday's session. They're working on tackling form, getting a hand on the ball, trying to poke the ball out from a ball carrier. And then they were working in coverage and trying to generate interceptions and turnovers and trying to bat the ball away. And by the way, tipping it to a fellow teammate. So I'm, I've actually been really encouraged and you know, it's, it's good that you mentioned it. I've been really encouraged by the way that Patrick Tony has been very turnover oriented with his practices, at least from what we've observed. It's been the focus in the majority of their sessions that we've been invited to go and see. They are very focused on trying to do that. Yeah, there's there's different trains of thought out there. I know in the college football world, and, and I think even in the NFL, really too, on whether or not you can sort of coach to 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 produce a large change in the turnover margin year to year, right? Because there is some element of luck to it, which way the ball bounces and all that. But it's obviously an area that Florida has to get better, and I think uh, it's good to see that emphasized, like you said, Jacob. I want to talk more about some some individual players, right? Because Spring, you know, we, we end up writing stories on a lot of different guys. Um, a lot of that is is sort of, you know, a product of who we're talking to with interview sessions and all that. But there's a lot of guys that, you know, fans are high on sort of going into spring or or that kind of thing. Are there any individual players that you think 
you know, you're, you're really watching in this type setting. Are there any guys that have a chance to really make a move or maybe have already impressed through the first seven practices, but can really start to cement, Hey, I'm a guy that's going to be involved next year. Like who are some yeah. of those guys for you? Yeah. You want to talk about opportunity? Well, Keon Zipper has, uh, it's a silver platter opportunity. He has zero competition. There isn't a single person that he's practicing with. If you go onto Florida's website right now and you click on the roster tab, there's only one guy at practices right now with the letters T-E next to his name who's on scholarship, and it's Keon Zipperer. Everybody else in the unit at the moment plays defense. So that guy has a golden opportunity to prove to a new coaching staff who has said now on numerous occasions that they're coming into this blind. They want to see guys perform. They want to give everybody an equal playing field opportunity to impress and earn their playing time. What better opportunity does one guy have to do that than somebody who has zero competition. All he has to do is show up every single day, put together a max effort, and prove that he's the guy in the tight end room. And I think he has an excellent opportunity to do that right now. So that's a guy who I've been watching, who I want to continue to hear what's going on with him because it's the focus. So easy, number one opportunity guy, Keon Zipperer. Uh, Let let me jump in here. I'm going to give you my number one guy. Yeah. I think linebacker Dewan Black has a chance to really solidify himself as a guy that's definitely going to play. We, we yep. talked about, you know, potentially going to the portal to add maybe a more veteran linebacker because right now, you know, Ventrell Miller's not practicing on Tuesdays and Thursdays because of a class conflict. Assuming he's around in the fall, and I haven't had any reason to, to believe he wouldn't be at this point, he, he's probably your guy in the middle. But who plays next to him? And Amari Bernie is a guy that has veteran experience, but... Eh, hasn't really shown the physicality in games to, to make me feel comfortable with him starting again for another season. one Black's a guy that is, is really turning some heads in practice, very long, very athletic, and he has a nose for the football. Now, we haven't seen it necessarily against the run. We, that's not to say he's not doing well against the run. We just we haven't seen that with our own eyes at practice. And I think, you know, until you get into some of these scrimmage-type settings, it's hard to know how they're going downhill, taking on blocks, shedding blocks, making tackles. This is an opportunity for him to show that even though he's a little bit lean, he can actually make that happen. And I do think he's going to be a guy that the coaching staff will get some reps in with Ventrell Miller, with the starters in there, uh, depending on who's available. I don't don't know how limited Ventrell may be, but he's a guy that I've I've got circled for sure. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give my second player, Lorenzo Lingard. We've heard a lot of good stuff. Uh, I think that the running back competition for Florida right now is fairly wide open because I would say that of all the units on the field, uh, among the stronger performers, I'd say the running backs have looked pretty good. Um, And Lingard has gotten a lot of praise. We've stood right there by the running backs during practices, and it seems like it's just Lingard, Lingard, good job, good rep from Jabbar Jaluk. Uh, And so I want to see where that progresses. I'm curious to know if that's really just during skill development periods, which is what we have access to or if that's something that continues not only throughout the rest of practices, but into something like a scrimmage, where does he kind of shake out? Because I think that as far as potential and raw athletic ability and size and strength, he has it, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that translates to game settings. Yeah, he definitely looks the part. And I think that's the key is is how does it translate to games? Because you can look like a million bucks getting off the bus, but some guys just don't play quite as fast as they they are maybe in, in shorts and a helmet. To me, there was a little bit of that when we did see him in brief spurts last year, but it was so limited that it's really hard to say. I mean, when you're only getting a couple snaps here and there, 
you know, you're really trying to impress. You can you can overdo things in certain ways, maybe miss a, a gap that you're supposed to hit. I think that's a really good one. I'll give you another one, and I'm, I'm going back to the defensive side of the ball, and then we can maybe uh, sort of wrap up with some final thoughts. Princely Umanmielin, I think, is a guy that Florida has to have emerge as a high-level SEC player because you mentioned it. We already have question marks at defensive tackle. Everybody thinks Javon Dexter is going to have a really, really good season. You know, he had 51 tackles last year, which is really, really impressive for a defensive tackle. You've got Brenton Cox on the other side, who I think is going to take on some blockers. There's no reason that Princely shouldn't see some, some you know, single-team blocks next year and be able to sort of have his way to the quarterback. Like, if he's, if he's as advertised, and I've been high on him since day one. I doubt Florida's staff, after seeing him as a true freshman, should have gotten him more involved last year. He was involved a good bit. But I think he's a guy that has sort of the blend of speed and power that maybe some of the other guys on the roster, especially at that jack spot, don't quite have. He's got to take the next step for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I have nothing to add to that, really. I think that that was well said. All right. Anything else we need to hit here before we wrap it up? I know we're probably a little bit over half an hour at this point. No, I would just say that I think that we kind of hit a really uh, interesting and, and somewhat exciting point in spring ball. I think that we're seeing some, some things develop. Uh, across the board here at every single position. Uh, I think that even if we're not necessarily in practice for an extended period of time, we are learning a lot from the people who are giving us information based on what's happening behind closed doors, plus kind of combining that with what we've been able to see. Uh, and that's only going to continue to develop. I mean, especially with the scrimmage happening, uh, we're going to have a lot to learn. And so I think that for those of, of you who are listening to this and who read our content on swamp247.com, just about what's going on within spring ball. I think we've hit that critical point now where details are going to start to emerge of who's doing what and kind of the picture is going to really start to get painted here. So it's an exciting time. If you're a fan, I think that there's a lot to look forward to coverage wise and we're going to have it. Yeah, there's no doubt. We will be hitting sources uh, when the scrimmage ends uh, pretty much as soon as it ends, reaching out to as many people as we can that are at that scrimmage. And we'll have uh, obviously VIP notes posted for you on swamp 24 seven. As always, Jacob, Appreciate all the thoughts today, man. I thought this was a really good episode. Guys, if you're liking the Swamp 24-7 podcast, be sure to hit like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Uh, let your friends know. If you're listening on an audio-only platform like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, any of the other number platforms we're on, just leave us a favorable review. It really helps us to expand our reach and uh, be able to get more Gator fans involved. So we appreciate all your support, and that will do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.